Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. In this part of my conversation with petroleum geologist Alicia, who works for the oil and gas giant Chevron, I attack her about how she and her soulless oil people are out to murder the planet. Alicia fights back. We first talk about the hate and judgment that she has received for being in the oil and gas industry and how she feels about it and responds to it. Alicia then shares how she feels as an earth scientist working in the industry and whether she thinks that it is truly killing the planet. What are the people in this industry like? Are they money-minded climate deniers or do they drive Teslas? She then shares how the fossil fuel industry as a whole is responding to the climate crisis. Is that response fast and effective enough? And will we be able to overcome the crisis? We then discuss whether the responsibility of treating the planet better lies with the consumer or with big corporations and government. And what does confronting the climate crisis have to do with Gandhi's principles of nonviolent transformation? We also discuss whether new remedial technologies like carbon capture are going to help the situation or they will let the energy industry become more complacent about their footprint. Are there negative environmental impacts of such cleaner tech as well? The opinions that Alicia expresses in this podcast episode are her own and don't necessarily represent the position of her employer Chevron. To learn more about Chevron's plans for sustainability, you can follow the links in the podcast description. So yeah, you said that you have experienced a lot of judgment from a lot of people about the fact that you're in the oil industry and it's destroying the planet. Yeah, I've definitely experienced some and it was really interesting because it, the perception of it, I, I noticed it kind of even went more so negative during the pandemic. It was like, yeah, everybody hates oil and gas like before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, there was like a real movement around it at that time. And so I felt the feelings, the negative feelings that people had toward the industry get stronger during the pandemic, which was interesting because then by the time I started my job, it was like, whoa, like people hate us, you know, and I'd come across people who went to school at mines and like one in one instance, she was like in environmental engineering. She's like, yeah, my whole goal is to put you guys out of business, you know, so you come Mm. across people who really adamantly are opposed to the industry but you don't feel like that yourself i personally don't feel that way no why is that you don't think that the oil and gas industry is contributing to the destruction of the planet i think that it is but i think to chastise the industry in general i'm totally for the transition from fossil fuel based energy system to a more renewable, lower carbon energy system. I think that has to happen. Mm -hmm. 
but I think demonizing the industry is not the productive way to do that. And people will demonize it. Like I didn't fully understand the industry until I started working at an oil and gas company. Like I was kind of against, I just thought oil and gas is kind of this like stuffy place to be from Mm. kind of a work perspective, like thinking, Oh, as a geophysicist, I don't want to work in oil and gas. It seems not interesting to me. Turns out, I think for a geologist, for a geophysicist, you're solving some of the most interesting problems mm-hmm. that you could be doing mm-hmm. for a job. Like yeah. the, that's where the hardest, most challenging, interesting mm-hmm. geologic problems that also make you money while you're solving them come from, I think, that mm-hmm. industry. There are other industries where I'm sure that's the case, but I, I find the actual geologic problems underlying it so interesting. And that's really why I work in the oil and gas industry. Like, Yeah. And, you know, I do recognize that there is a kind of double standard in just demonizing the oil and gas industry and then getting your car to go to a protest because you are the consumer. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, you you're want protesting. the oil and gas, but then you're focusing the hatred towards the people who get it out of the ground. And we're supplying you. your consumption. Yeah. And some people don't connect the plastic dot to the fact that plastic comes from petroleum products. Mm-hmm. Plastic, a bunch of, we're not just oil and gas that you put in your car. There's so many, petrochemicals is such a huge industry and people don't realize the extent to which, yeah, like they use oil and gas and petroleum products in their daily lives. And I'm the, you know, I have, I'm the first to like, pack up my recycling and take it to the recycling center because we don't have recycling in this building. And I'm, you know, I get on my brother about using like, you know, any, any just blatantly wasteful things or wasteful Mm -hmm. uses of plastic. I'm the first Mm -hmm. to say like, I don't want, like I'm not propping up the plastics industry, but the reason it exists is because people consume so, so much of it. Mm -hmm. And so they don't make the connection with their, how petroleum products function in their daily lives with this thing that they're demonizing. Yeah. So, um, you know how you said that the reason that the plastics exist is because, you know, people like consume it. I have tried to make this point somewhat heatedly with my friends who, uh, I'm like, you know, you have a lot of responsibility in Mm -hmm. changing the world. You can't keep, you know, like blaming big corporations when you are being so callous in your patterns of consumption mm-hmm. and you're not insisting that your own carbon footprint be low. With a pushback that I have received from them, and I feel like the most charitable interpretation of that that I can make is the rules are kind of being set by these big corporations and the way that the government works. A lot of the ways in which you go about your lives, you don't have too many options than to use yeah. oil or it's to use plastic It's not so packaging. simple as saying if you yeah. don't have, yeah, if, if all you have in front of you are plastic-based products, yeah. you yeah. don't have any choice. Yeah. And, and it's like the same thing with organic, local-grown foods. It's like if that's not made available to you or the barrier to entry, it's so expensive. It's so yeah. whatever, yeah. hard to get. And yeah. you have to, you know, it does need to be widely available to you to make that yeah that so, decision so that's where the sentiment comes in that no the owners of responsibility is more with this 
big companies and the government. No, no, obviously the answer is in the middle. Yeah. It's yeah. a two-way street. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the way that I see it like, is there has to be a lot of political will with the governments and these companies to try and shift to more healthy things. Like, for example, I don't know, I feel like the government should stop subsidizing fossil fuel and start channeling that money into like giving capital to like renewable energy companies and things like that to start accelerating the transition. Um, and then, you know, it should, they should probably make some more strict rules about big corporations using, not being able to use like disposable plastic, like some Scandinavian countries have already done that. Once you introduce like global top-down regulations like that, automatically it percolates down to the point where the consumer goes to the grocery store and, mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to be inundated they with can like make better choices. it's kind of true that i try to really minimize the harmful impact that i have on you but can't ever feels, get to zero yeah it feels like uh, i'm trying to push back this increasing tidal wave of how the world basically expects me to be and it's like a battle it's like a slowly right. losing battle anyway i'm saying a lot of different things the point that i wanted to come to was you said it does not help to demonize the oil and gas industry. It does not help the cause, the green cause. Mm -hmm. What do you think helps? Making them part of the conversation and recognizing the role that they fundamentally have to play mm -hmm. and are more than willing to play if you would listen to them. Mm -hmm. Chevron, for instance, like we have a whole new segment of the company called Chevron New Energies. Mm -hmm. It's a whole business unit devoted to you know, whether that's investing in new energies, like yeah. they invest in so many different technologies. So they're spreading around, but they have some key technologies that are lower carbon that these, these at the end of the day, how they're trying to define themselves are energy companies. Yeah. They're going to be around mm -hmm. when the fossil fuels industry is no longer. Mm-hmm. But they're the ones who are so key in making that transition because we're the ones getting the oil and gas out of the ground right now. So, of course, we have to be in that conversation and the companies aren't going anywhere, but they're changing. If you would like, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like that component is not an in enough of the conversation and people take a black or white side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think part of the black or white side is emotional. In that you guys are portrayed as being fucking evil people. Mm -hmm. You're like, there's darkness in their hearts. All they want is their greed and their money. And they don't give a shit what happens all to money. the planet. They're all money. They're just going to go and they're like, oh yeah, fuck the planet. Um, I'm going to get my money. And I'm going to spread disinformation about climate change and stuff. So that I just keep on getting my money and the planet can go to hell. Because as long as I keep on living the rest of my lifetime in my big ivory tower, I'm good. I'm giving you a representation of like my worst image of what the oil and gas people mm -hmm. are like. Would you agree that there are people like that or in, in your world or like how are people generally like that or different or what is it like? I would say that a lot of people in my company, for instance, are similar to me where it's like, since we are exposed to it, we recognize, of course, it's like when you interact with most people who are demonizing you, you're, there are those people with a quick jerk to be on the other side, like the quick jerk reaction to be yeah. completely on the other side and like take that emotional response of like, oh, 
you're so stupid. Like, you don't see the whole thing. Now, I don't think that people look at it as like they're – I think some people work for the money. There are people like that in every industry. But I think people in oil and gas really recognize the fuller picture because it is more apparent to them the function that it plays. So, um, yeah, I don't think that there – I mean, there's there's people like that in any industry where it's like that. You know, like, oh, I don't care what happens. I'm doing I'm doing this for me. But one thought that I had is, like, by the time that we recognized the environmental impact that oil and gas was having on the world, the fundamental energy system was already in place by the time mm-hmm. that we recognized that. And then by the time that enough people started caring about it and connecting it to fossil fuels, like, we we're so well established. So... Mm. The intent behind the industry was to drive progress forward because we were the way that we provided, like we were back in, you know, mm-hmm. like the industrial revolution, like we are part of the reason why we have the standard of living that we have today in our country and other countries, like part of this conversation is, well, we can't, you know, get rid of carbon uh, intensive energy sources completely because there's parts of the world where it's like, We need to uplift them by giving them access to affordable energy to get them, you know, Mm -hmm. to advance them forward in their standard of living. So I think it's interesting because the concept of the industry itself was never greed driven or never, you know, we never we didn't always have the recognition of the impact that our industry was having on the planet. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until much later. Yeah. So it wasn't founded in this recognition <laughs> that this is evil, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. The recognition came later, and by then the system was already so much in place. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so from what I hear when the climate scientists speak and everything, we are kind of fucked. Like we are really, I don't even, I mean, this is like doomsday. Like we are very close to getting to the point where it's like just going to go to total extinction or something like that. You know, it just the picture that you get when you talk to climate scientists is dire. So given that it's like a really kind of like a very urgent situation, do you feel like the initiatives that you're seeing in a company like Chevron is adequate? Like, is it are, are they moving forward with enough urgency to try and get out of oil and towards more renewable things? So the first thing I would say is Chevron is a business, as are all the other energy companies. And so if there wasn't some sort of business value, yes, there were people, we have ethical principles and like that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But business is always factored into the equation. So we're not like a government where we are going to just, it's like quick moving, let's all move behind this. You know, to some extent, it's, it's not that dire and urgent, but there have been clear over the past year, over the past seven months, I've even been there. Mm-hmm. There have been clear steps to move progress in that direction. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be overnight, but I think the reason why it's happening at a quicker pace now is like the effect that I talked about over the pandemic or during the pandemic was investment because I read an article and like I don't read up enough on this as I probably should like being in the industry but one of the things was like during the pandemic a lot of investment 
decrease in the oil and gas industry. So it wasn't like popular for people to be putting their money because of the political and social stigma mm -hmm. around the industry. And so there's been those clear things from mm -hmm. people who invest in us that make it non-economic for us not to be thinking about these things. Yeah. So it's the balance of, yes, we believe it's right, but also like the business driver. Okay, well, yes, if the, this is the like political and the social mm. feeling about us, but the money is not changing, yeah, yeah, then there's not real action we need to take. Mm -hmm. In your experience in this industry, have you met people who are kind of like climate deniers or they at least they like put out they throw out a lot of doubts like make like they make it seem like oh we don't really know and blah 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 or something like that have you met people who are like that i've come across some and i mean it's like you come across a climate change denier every once you know every once in a while i wouldn't say that i've come across a lot of like climate deniers in the oil and gas industry because we are scientists a lot of us mm -hmm. and so we do understand the science behind it but i think you know what we mostly are is like we're providing such a valuable service to the world and the way that the world is running right now and it doesn't just stop mm -hmm. yeah that you know we we are needed as we are and we'll deal with all the flack that people might give us in the way that people see us but you know we are doing something good for the world mm -hmm. um in your vision do you think we are going to be able to get past this climate crisis mm -hmm. as, as a world yeah probably not oh fuck i mean like you said like the the ball was set in or the things were set in motion and it's like anything now it's like but i i don't look into the climate science a ton like i, I don't look into all the projections of what it's like going to be and what's mm -hmm. the dire situation but i think you know if we are on a path there's but at the same time i'm of the mind that the world is not going to end it's like weather events may become more extreme there's things like that but i don't think it's necessarily a mass level of extinction that we're headed towards. There were times back in the day, and of course we're the reasons why the carbon levels are so high, the CO2 levels are so high in the atmosphere, but these these levels are not the highest they have been in the history of the earth. There's like the carbon carboniferous period mm -hmm. back, you know, I don't know my geologic dates as well as I should, should um, as a geologist, but yeah, there were like times of very high carbon levels in the atmosphere, like in the world's past. So we do carry a very human centric focus on the world ending in the way that we know it mm -hmm. versus the world ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The world will go on without us, without with or us. without us. And um, some people would have made a lot of money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i feel like but i do think that there there are these changes i mean even in even since i was a kid the small lake that i grew up on in michigan like people it used to freeze over like 
and was solid through the winter. Like yeah. we would get snow around Thanksgiving would be our first snow. And then we wouldn't see the ground again until March or April. Now it's like we haven't had a white Christmas in four years. Like mm. the lake doesn't freeze over. People use the snowmobile across the lake on mm. the ice. Like people go ice fishing out there, but the lake doesn't consistently get a freeze to like maybe January, February time. So I've seen changes just in my lifetime. And so that pattern that's or that cycle that's been set in motion, I think there's not a whole lot. Like the system is beyond our control in that aspect. We can reduce the carbon that we're putting in and we can try and get to like carbon net zero and and mm-hmm. things like that but there's something that's already in place yeah that i think we've all have yeah. our own thing own experiences where we've recognized it yeah and i recently learned that mit does an annual like breakthrough tech review top 10 most promising breakthrough technologies and i went through their list one of them was proof of stake, by the way, the, the Ethereum consensus algorithm, because it really brings down the amount of greenhouse gas expenditure. The current like proof of work requires a lot of computations. Computations mm-hmm. equal heat. Heat equals death of planet. <laughs> but at least your transactions will go through. So yeah. So and the other technology that was there that caught my attention was a carbon capture factory well it's not really a factory because it's not making shit but that they have now constructed where was it like iceland i don't exactly remember finland norway some 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 scandinavian country and um yeah it just uses some technology to just gather carbon out of the air and then put it in the ground do you like putting it into the ground and uh so it's kind of heartening to see that uh, effort and innovation is going in the direction and they're right now planning to build another one of those carbon capture things that's 10 times the capacity. But a few people in that report I read, uh, environmentalists, I guess, whatever, are worried about the implications of this because they believe that once you start building technologies like this, it kind of suggests or can be taken as a complete green light for the fossil fuel industry to just keep on doing whatever they're doing so the onus of trying to be more mindful or stopping or transitioning are going to lessen because they can always say, oh, this is like carbon capture. Just do, the, just do the carbon capture. And what that reminds me of is like recycling. There's this big myth of recycling. Mm-hmm. Um, people have to some to a great extent deliberately being misled to believe that recycling is a much bigger thing than it actually is so mm-hmm. that it settles their conscience about it and they can just keep on consuming throw that fucking shit in the blue bin only three percent of that it actually gets recycled so i feel in a way paradoxically if recycling was not a thing we would probably use less yeah we would probably be hurting the planet less so what are your thoughts on the the analogous question of like remediation technologies like carbon capture mm-hmm. yeah i hadn't thought of it in that way but carbon capture that's something that is like a, a key part of our companies and i think our industry's approach to uh getting carbon neutral so one the way i'd say right now the way that 
the government is approaching it in terms of the regulations on our companies or the commitments that our companies have made is mm. net zero. So mm. any carbon that we're producing in our operations, we're offsetting it. You know, we have to already, have enough. Already, this is already or a future commitment? Um, It's a future commitment by like, you know, every company's got their like, by this date, we're going to be net zero or like, but. And are they serious about this or they just say something in order to just keep on going business as usual lower carbon is like a fundamental like key company strategy okay. for chevron and whether that strategy was driven out of a political climate versus mm -hmm. out of the good of their hearts it's a strategy it's a key strategy and yeah and that's what it takes it takes a collective you yeah. know the fun funneling up that sentiment yeah to make those impacts and it has it really mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. But yeah, like one of the ways we offset is by the carbon reinjection. And I'd say the ball is in motion. We are moving toward the renewable energy yeah, yeah, yeah. direction. Yeah, because people But say, we need yeah. the carbon. We need right. any, we, you know, it's part the of the solution. Anyway. But what people are trying to point out is instead of trying to go in a direction where we keep releasing carbon and keep recapturing carbon, a better, and I believe this too, in my limited understanding, is that a more wholesome way is to just transition away from the processes yeah. that are releasing the carbon out in the atmosphere mm -hmm. in the first place. So and that, I yeah. do think it is like the way that our company is kind of approaching it, I think is like we are establishing these other technologies for the lower carbon producing and, you know, mm -hmm. energy sources. But in the meantime, it's like, we're in we're in an energy transition and you know they'll say like we've always been in energy transition we were using freaking whale blubber and then we got oil and gas so <laughs> oh, we we're always in like yeah. an energy transition um but the transition takes time this is the transition period from a very heavy reliance on fossil fuels to something else and so while we're in that transition we're still moving that direction but we're offsetting as we do it. We are trying yeah, to reduce the that, impacts that, that this sense. business that's not going anywhere overnight. Mm -hmm. We will be producing oil and gas until the time that I die. Yeah. Um, you don't think so? It's not. It, there's still going to be oil and gas. Oh, yeah. I think so. I do With think Chevron. So. Or, I mean, I understand in the rest of the world there could still be, but. Yeah, I think so. You think Chevron is still going to be in the oil and gas to the, the day that you die? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think that some component of the business, I think it'll be a much smaller component uh, of the business. Um, but yeah, I think the carbon capture piece is like, okay, we're still doing this stuff right now and mm -hmm. we can't stop it overnight. And if we could, if, if the daily consumer could do it with the sentiment that's out there right now, a lot of people would, we'd stop. Yeah. But we don't have that option right now. We don't have that ability. So, you know, like... Even just our company making those commitments, no matter why they're making them, like that is progress to me. Yeah. Like I see, and that's why I see us as so critical and crucial and part of this conversation. And yeah, it's like if you don't include like the evil demon in the conversation <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, kill them all, like yeah. kill them all. It just off. becomes like an echo chamber in which you're yeah. just bouncing around the same idea and keeps getting amplified because there's nobody else's voice. The opposite your opposition's voice is not in the room to temper mm -hmm. what's actually going on. Um, 
And you know, you are a person with whom I feel comfortable bringing these things up. So I'm like, yeah, Ali has a heart, you know. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was actually a little bit surprised when, like, you know, you went into the oil and gas thing. I was like, that's not the kind of person that I picture going into a soulless, right. blood-sucking industry like that. So th this apparent contradiction that is happening it actually opens up this opportunity for us to have this yeah. discussion and for people to see, well, this is not a vampire I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah. And probably a lot of the people that are working in this company are not bloodthirsty vampires yeah. either. No, quite the contrary. But... Do people drive Teslas at all at Chevron? Yeah, I <laughs> see some Teslas in the garage. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And like, I... <laughs> You know, I want my next vehicle to be like a hybrid, like yeah. part electric, part oil and gas. I won't go fully electric at this point, yeah. but staying true to the situation. With another, the you know, another interesting part of the conversation is the environmental impact of energy alternatives. Mm. And. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm electrically charging my Tesla, but where does that energy come from? Mm -hmm. Underneath it, there's probably some oil and gas there. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, right but now it's possible part to of, transition away from that. It is. More readily, yeah. But, you know, like where else, and I don't know enough about how, like, we get all of our energy to the grid, but, like, where else is our energy coming from? And right now it's like, you know, maybe some component of it is solar. And, and I guess it's the bet that it's like, this is the place that you can start. At least I'm starting that transition. Yeah. But there are other, you know, types of energy sources that and other environmental impacts that people don't mm -hmm. recognize. Like, for example, the assembly, the material assembly Mining. of the car. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, there's too, a, yeah. like, you're like, oh, I'm all for Tesla. Tesla is green. Tesla helps the planet. Let's buy 10,000 Teslas. The impact of that is still going to be negative on the planet. Mm -hmm. Maybe less negative than buying 10,000 Fords. But you can get so emotionally caught up in the fact that it's an electric car and get all taken up by the propaganda of it that you forget that the impact is still negative because you're digging shit up from the ground. You're having to manufacture these like batteries, batteries that require some like special metals and I don't know, lithium and whatever. And they have to be transported and whatever. Any form of consumer consumerism is hurting the planet somehow. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the recycling thing again. Like you feel the like you've got this The answer is big... honestly using less, yeah. like reducing. That was also my conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Like, use less shit. Yeah, that's that is really like mm -hmm. really what it comes down to. Be a minimalist. Don't fall into this consumer cycle. And <laughs> and who is really the demon? Is it the oil and gas that are? supplementing this consumerism cycle or is it the people who are pushing that consumerism cycle down our throats that are causing us to fall into these traps that plastics and all of these things make it so much easier to produce these mass amounts of goods mm -hmm. like is that you know like i find a lot more demonism in that mm -hmm. line of thinking than i do the people who are just supplying mm -hmm. the means to do it mm -hmm. Because, yeah, we are we are supplying them the materials and the products they need to do it, and that has its impacts. But consumerism, I think, is the problem at yeah. the end of the day. Like, we do – we just have this consumption-based yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, I believe that it's not any one particular piece of the puzzle that is causing all of the rest. Right. 
It's not just the companies mm-hmm. that are producing the things. It's not just the consumerism of the person because companies are responsible for continuing to feed into and encourage the culture of consumerism so that, you know, there's value in the product that they're, so they'll keep pushing. But on the other hand, consumers are also responsible for continuing to like, I want more, I want mm-hmm. more. So I feel like what is responsible for this is this big global superstructure of culture, economy, all yeah. of it, which has interlocking parts that are all feeding and reinforcing each other. And it doesn't help so much to isolate only one of its parts, either the consumer or the corporation, and say, this is where the evil comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, there's really nothing like that. So in order to get beyond that, I feel like we have to start thinking in the level, in a kind of impersonal level, at the level of systems. Yeah. Instead of trying to... It is a system. Like, that is... That's the whole thing, yeah. And I think... And I think the quick, the quick answer for people who feel so distraught or frustrated with the climate issue is to point a finger at somebody. Yeah. And typically that finger gets pointed at us. Yeah. And so what is so unproductive about that is like, we're just talking about that is only like one fraction of the system that needs to be addressed. So it's like, it gets people to, it's almost like a distraction from solving the bigger problem to point the finger and demonize us. And so I think that's why it it is such a, a danger that the hyper focus is on us in that respect. Yeah. It's also kind of a a jettisoning of your personal responsibility and externalizing yeah. it into something where you can just pour it's your hate. It's them. Their fault. It, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but what this reminds me of is I recently started reading this book called Gandhi on nonviolence, which is just little excerpts from Gandhi's writings on the nonviolent, non-cooperation movement in India against the British. And there are a couple of commentaries by other people in front of the book. Um, kind of explaining what Gandhi's perspective is. And it requires a lot of explaining because it's highly counterintuitive. And to summarize it, my understanding is that it does not see any evil, even with the person who's being violent. And it uh, does not seek... It's like you can only be engaged in this nonviolent movement if you do not have any hatred for the other person. So what it recognizes is that there needs to be a movement that liberates both the oppressed and the oppressor from the system that they have become locked in. Um, And so it seeks to establish a climate of nonviolence and and by definition that nonviolence is something that has to permit all of the actors. And this is very counterintuitive from the dualistic Western point of view where resistance is kind of like a tit for tat. Mm -hmm. And this I feel is what a lot of this oil and gas people are facing now is people's rage like towards them like you are oppressing us or whatever. And so I feel like this is what is it's reminding me of. And I think there are elements of this like nonviolence movement that actually overlap with the situation that we're seeing with the climate because it's about power. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reality is that there are some systems 
that are executing their decisions in a certain way that disempowers some people. Like when the effects of climate change occur, those who are less economically privileged are going to feel the brunt of it mm-hmm. more. So there is an aspect of power oppression and, and violence in it, but it is at the systemic level. And this is what nonviolence movement recognizes. Don't point your fingers at people. And there's a responsibility within every person to dive internally within themselves and meet the own violence that they have. And I don't completely understand it, but I'm very intrigued by it. That's why I'm starting to read about this. It, it's, it's fucking with my head mm-hmm. to try and wrap my brain around it. And I feel a lot of internal resistance. Western people also have a lot of resistance to this idea of nonviolence because it's like you have to give up your ego. Mm-hmm. And people do not... Um, people see like no connection between a resistance or rebellion and giving up your ego. That's such a counterintuitive idea. But I, I can smell that this, that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. In order to get like huge like system-wide changes, you cannot keep having an enemy that you want to, yeah. uh, you know, you want to like eliminate from the face of the planet. It's just well, the actors the end, change, yeah. but the violence continues. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, okay, yeah. You eliminate that enemy, but have your problems been solved? Yeah. Like, ha- have things changed? Like, and I think one thing that I've seen just being in this industry is most people's tendency who work here of not, not reciprocating the amount of negativity we receive. I think some people do that. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, maybe the 5% of people in oil and gas are like, you know, the, they give that knee jerk response to like any, you mm-hmm. know, but I think most of us, we don't feed yeah. into that energy. And I think our, our CEO doesn't feed into that yeah, energy. We don't, we accept so much of that negative that comes at our industry, but we go out and we put, you know, we, we show people what we're doing and like mm-hmm. we at the end of the day as a company we understand our company values and the value and the service that we're providing so we just we don't feed into that negative energy so i think that's a really positive thing is like it could be easy to like put our face onto the world as one as combative and like in response to all the negative perception and things that people give to us but we don't do that Mm-hmm. we kind of just let it roll off our backs a little bit like that's how I treat it and that's how I think most of the people at the company treat it and you know we have discussions like this at the company with coworkers about how people perceive us and this and that but yeah it's like to the to a large extent we don't we don't contribute to that negative energy we don't give a lot of negative energy in response to the mm-hmm. amount that we get mm-hmm <laughs> Which I think that's saying a lot because we do get quite a lot of negative energy mm. from the world. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you joined us today in the Room of Lives. In the next and final part of our conversation, we talk about Alicia's boyish energy and her experiences and thoughts on feminism, patriarchy, gender roles, and self-empowerment in her romantic relationships, work, and life.